All right, so as I mentioned, we're looking at the book of Romans. And over the last few weeks, we've kind of been seeing that Paul is crafting this argument, you know, showing how people have fared when they've tried to connect with God. So in chapter one, we, we saw that those who weren't part of the nation of Israel, the Gentiles, they had this picture of who God was in creation, and yet no, they rejected him. So they aren't connected very well. And in chapter 2, we saw that the Jews or the nation of Israel, they had a picture of who God was. They had the Old Testament, some of the scriptures and the writings about who God was and the laws and the ways to follow him. But no, they didn't do any better because even though they had all of that information, they rejected him also. And so in chapter 3, last week, we kind of saw that you know, none of us have done very well. We've all fallen short. As it says in, in chapter 3, there is no one righteous. No one. Not even one, it says. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. We saw that, you know, that's a pretty uplifting, you know, lovely sort of message. But Paul's not done with his argument. In the next part in chapter 3, which we're looking at today, he sort of sums up the point of what he's trying to say. He says, it didn't work for the non-Jews. It didn't work for the Jews using the law and using what was in front of them to try and earn their way back to God. It just didn't work. And so he jumps in in verse 21 and he says, however, there is a solution. It says verse 21, but now apart from the law, which included both the specific law of Israel and the natural law of creation, Apart from the law, the righteousness or the rightness or the perfection of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, this is what Paul is saying. It didn't work for the law. It didn't work for our own efforts. So God has made another way. He has gifted us His righteousness. And all we need to do is trust in Him. See, now in Paul's mind, this is the final word on the matter. This sums it all up. This is the completeness, the, the, the finish of the gospel story, the good news. See, to those who were trying to find their way back to God on their own efforts, he says, don't worry about it. Forget about it. You can't do it. It didn't work. It didn't work for the Gentiles. It didn't work for the Jews. There's no way that you in your own rightness, in your own efforts, can make your way back to God. It's just impossible. So instead, God is going to give that rightness that righteousness to you. It's a gift. And he says to those who are trying to figure out whether Jews or Gentiles were better, he says, forget about it, don't worry about it. It's impossible. We both suck. We all suck. We, none of us can stand before God in our own effort and be anything other than guilty. But that's okay because God is perfect. Jesus was perfect. And he's giving that perfection, that rightness, that standing before God that he earned, and he's giving it. To us and it's not based on on our bloodlines and we don't stand before God by you know the sons of Abraham as the Jews called themselves we don't stand based on our association with an ancient law or an ancient nation 
But instead, we stand before God declared innocent only based on our trust, our faith in Jesus. That's it. It is the grace and the favor of God that makes us right and nothing else. There's nothing else that we can bring. Now, we may seek to live a good life and follow God's commandments. That is a true thing. That is a beautiful thing. Same as always. But the only factor that counts towards whether or not we are accepted by God is whether we've trusted in Jesus. That's it. If we do that, we are covered by His righteousness, His perfection, His rightness. We're covered by that and we're forgiven and invited freely into the family of God. That's what he's saying here. That's the point of this. I wonder how that sits with you. I wonder as you're sitting in those seats and you're sort of hearing this and you've probably heard this several times and, and, and maybe it's become rote, but I just, I just wonder what goes on in your heart and in your mind when you hear these words. That you are forgiven, not based on your efforts, but based on God's gift to you. Does it spark joy? Does it spark relief? I know moments in my life where that's really broken through and that's really imprinted itself on me. I'm like, oh, I'm good with God. I don't have to earn this. It has been a great sense of relief. Or I wonder if it doesn't sit that positively with you at all. I wonder if there are some who, for you, it just, it almost doesn't sound right. Like it's, there's a sense of disbelief. Do you have that sense? This point that Paul is making here, that this, this forgiveness, this rightness before God is, is a gift. It's nothing that we can earn. This is the very core of Paul's writing. It is the beating heart of his message. In fact, not just his message, but this message, the entire Bible, the whole faith our whole system of understanding who we are before God, all of this is centered around this one idea that we cannot earn our way into God's good graces. He gives it to us. I think it is so critical, no matter how many times we hear it, that we truly take it in, in our hearts and our minds, and that we understand it fully. It's so critical. I mentioned um, a guy um, in the first message in this series, I mentioned a guy named Martin Luther, lived in the late 14th century, uh, sorry, late 15th century, early 16th century. And he was uh, an important guy. He was a monk and a theology professor um, in Germany. And now even though, I mean, this guy was incredibly intelligent and he was a faithful Christian, he was also constantly tormented by guilt. See, he was living in a time where the understanding, the belief was that when you became a Christian, that, you know, Jesus forgave you for your sins. But then after that point, when you made another sin or you made another mistake or you did something else wrong, you had to keep coming back to get 
more forgiveness. So the, the grace that you got at the beginning only covered what you had done. And then as you do more things, you've got to kind of come back. You've got to go to confession. You do penance. You do other different things called sacraments that would help you get more forgiveness. And it was dispensed out through the priest. This was the, the Catholic Church system that was in place at the time and much similar to the, to the system that they have in place now. And this, this system did Luther's head in because he, he, he was faithful to confess and, and he worked really hard to kind of figure out all of the things that he had done wrong and then go to confession and do all of the things that he needed to do to get that forgiveness. But it just, it just burrowed in his mind about what about the ones that I don't know about? What about the ones I've forgotten? What are the ones that I didn't realize I had sinned, but I had, and I've offended God, and now he's got this, I've got this guilt that I don't know how to deal with because I can't possibly find every nook and cranny of my life to find every small dark thing that has happened or that I've done. I can't keep track of it all. I can't think about it all. And so he's racked with guilt, and he's just consumed by this, this discontentment and anger and, 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 and just hopelessness. How can he possibly be saved? So even though his job was to study and to read about the story of Jesus, the peace of Jesus eluded him. That is until he started studying Romans. And he started picking up on this idea that actually it's not my efforts that make me right before God, but what his efforts, what he did that makes me right for him. And it doesn't matter whether I make mistakes because his grace covers me. And that realization changed his life. He says, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through open gates. It just revolutionized his thinking. And Luther realized at that point that the church system he lived in at the time had regressed back into this Old Testament style of law. That it's the actions and works that we needed to do in order to reclaim our right before God, make ourselves right before God. And he realized that that is a bold-faced lie of the devil. We do not have to work our way back to God. He has given us that grace. Ah, oh, man, that epiphany, that changed Luther forever. And it changed the church forever. He led this revolution against this idea. Well, he took it very personally against the Catholic Church and he didn't do everything right. Okay, I'm not condoning everything he said or did in that. But during that time, what we call the Reformation, he just transformed the way that the common person thought about who they were before God. And it's considered one of the most important moments in church history outside of the Bible itself. And we started to break down this idea that we had to earn our way back to God. And instead, we just immersed ourselves in this grace that, that God provides. We realized we cannot make it to Him on our own effort, our own righteousness, our own good deeds or character. It's not good enough. 
He gives us that permanently. Well, I tell that story not to have a go at the Catholic Church because I, I, I believe they are doing some beautiful things for Jesus and there is an honest earnestness for Him. But it highlights a tendency of human nature. And that tendency is to take control of grace. It's our tendency to, well, to just not believe Paul. <laughs> you know, we find it hard to understand that God would just give us grace and that even when we continue to make mistakes that he's just fine with that, you know, and that he would continue to just forgive us. That covers all of them. How could it cover future sins? We just don't get it. And so we, don't, we can't grapple that the only thing that we have to do is to accept and put our trust in him. That doesn't sit well with us. So we, we, we instead, we try to reconstruct a system of laws and a system of rules that help us to walk ourselves back to God. And it diverted the church away from its purpose throughout history. In a very real way, we're trying to retake control back from God, aren't we? We prefer a law system because in a law system, we can control how we go. We may fail, we may not be very good at it, but at least we're in charge. And this is why, I mean, you look around, every religion on the planet employs a system of doing good in order to attain paradise or in order to attain rightness or, or um, some form of goodness, enlightenment, or whatever it is. And yet, even after 2,000 years of Paul's words, even after 500 years of seeing Luther shift the mentality around grace, we still haven't really learned that lesson, have we? We still try to institute a sense of do right to gain rightness. And we think back on your own life. Think about the way you consider yourself before God. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've become a Christian more recently. Maybe you're not a Christian at all, and I don't want to assume that. And this is a really important lesson for you if you're considering what Christianity is like. But think about the way that you consider yourself either right before God or not right before God. Is it based on the things that you're doing? Is there a concept in your heart that says, if I do enough good things... God will accept me and love me. If I read my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I go to church enough Sundays out of the year, if I help out, if I tithe, if I do all of these things, then God will be okay with me and he will accept me. Or maybe if I'm having a bad week, things aren't going my way, I haven't put time into that relationship with him. Maybe I haven't done the things, I've made some mistakes, I've said some things, I've thought some things. God's not pleased with me anymore. I'm not okay before God anymore. Is that the thinking that you have? Because it is a bold-faced lie of the devil. The devil is trying to convince us to go back to a system of earning our acceptance before God because he knows that we cannot do it. Think about this verse. All 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can do it. And all are justified freely, made right freely by His grace, His gift through the redemption uh, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus through His sacrifice. Now, you might be saying, but we do have laws, right? I mean, the Bible talks about we do have to do things for God, right? I mean, we have to live a certain way. He commands us. It's not really a choice. There's an expectation that we will live a certain way and that we will do certain things. I mean, He expects that, right? Look, we're going to talk about that more as we jump through the book of Romans. It's going to come up a few times, this relationship between grace and then living right. But what I want to impress upon this, impress upon us is this. We don't obey God in order to be right with Him. We obey God because He has already made us right with Him. And we're putting our faith in Jesus, placing ourselves under His leadership. Think about it this way. I want us to consider the difference between trying to please God and trying to earn His acceptance. Do you see the difference? Do you see what it means to, to live out the grace and the acceptance and the love that He has given us as opposed to trying to earn it. My prayer for us this morning as we sit in our seats, we take all of this in, is that the truth of us would really sink in. I pray that the Spirit will break through the barriers of our minds and our hearts that we've set up over time, these habitual ways of thinking, these stories that we've told ourselves about. You know, we've got to do this to be right. We've got to do this to be accepted by God. I pray that He'd just break all of those downs. And I pray that His Spirit would drill Himself into your heart and into your mind and just make you understand make you truly realize you are good with God. If you have put your trust in Him, if you says, all right, God, I need you. Jesus, I trust you. I accept you. That's it. That's all you need to do. You are acceptable and accepted and justified and all of those other words before God. He sees Jesus in you and you're okay. All of the conversations about what you've done, all of the things about the, the mistakes and the issues and all that sort of stuff, look, we will deal with that and it is important, but this space of acceptance by God, it is, I want to create this, this wall around it, this, this safeguard. That there is nothing that you can do to earn it, but there is nothing that anyone else can do to take it away. It's given to you. You are good with God. You are good with God. 